Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Stream of the Game. I am Kyle Nash, the Stream of the Game here at Listen. If you're here, chances are you probably love talking sports. And we're glad you chose to do it with us here tonight. Listen, folks, I got to tell you, it's a big deal this week. We got a lot of quality stuff coming up. The NFL this past week was obviously fun. Got a lot of things going on there. The NFL, the NBA starting to kick off a little bit to the point where we care about it. We might talk a little bit of Lakers there and, and other teams, of course, as they come up as Madman Mark Mancini will join me as he does every week. The Madman cometh, as it's been dubbed uh, as that segment. And, of course, a good amount of college football this week, folks. Orlando's Orlando Sentinels National College football writer Matt Merchell spent a good time not only going over the games that set up the conference championship this champ, championships this week, but all the buzz surrounding the playoff rankings in the CFP and what implications you could have therein. We broke down Ohio State and Michigan, had a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of tidbits in there, too, sprinkled in about coaching movement and things like that, all leading in to conference championship weekend for college football. I'm super stoked about it. I'm not going to go into it too much here in the intro because we will talk about it aplenty with Matt Merchell. Always a fun guest to have aboard. And listen, proof, he puts the student in the student of the game for me because when he talks, I certainly do my best to listen but let's get into this let's go ahead and rock and roll our way through the nfl in the previous week because i definitely have some reactions to what happened uh in the in the previous week's outing and first let me start with this i know and, and i spoke a bit, uh, a bit with this mo with my very favorite diaper dandy uh hunter metnick from the backcourt press podcast um, yeah, sure, we talked some NBA too, but of course he came on to talk about his Buffalo Bills. Check that out if you haven't yet. Um, but boy, we had a fun slate of Thanksgiving games. I, I Listen, we're starting to get to the part of the year where I love football more than any other. And granted, this is including going to the Super Bowl, and while that's a single great event, if I can get to go this year, fingers crossed. I was there last year in Los Angeles for the Rams beating the, the Bengals. That was a fun time, of course. But this time of year is when it really starts to lock in for me. And typically, it started by a mediocre, mediocre slate of games. Sure, you might have one of the three good there. But if you spend any time in school, one of three is definitely not a passing grade by any stretch of the imagination. And... uh I got to say, we got a pretty strong outing, a filling meal, if you will. As, and, and listen, every bit of the meal that I included in the matchup mania this past Wednesday on the threepointconversion.com um, was certainly well-deserved. And I mean, give credit to Kirk Cousins. He finally won after 8 o'clock. Apparently, the trip to fan didn't get to him. Uh, so that's a good thing. But let me start with this. Boy, the NFC South is bad. <laughs> but, Cal, the Panthers beat Denver. Yeah, that's a Denver problem. The Panthers have actually been playing better, and yet nobody at all is truly impressed by them. Can we be honest that you're a 4-8 and eight team anyway, and you beat Denver? Great. Here's a cookie. I happen to have a few left over from my road trip home from the, from the in-laws' house. 
<laughs> I can't eat them, so you can have them. There you go. That's that's my attitude on that. But the the, the Bucks losing to the Browns is intriguing stuff to me it, from the standpoint of, I mean, I guess the 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 Bucks are still going to win the division, but like, do we know <laughs> at this point? Like, because they're officially half a game ahead because they're five and six compared to the Falcons five and seven and the Falcons have done themselves no favors, right? It's not like their, their resume is anything to squawk about. It's not as bad as as the resume of say a big 10 team, but I digress of making jokes. I'm already teasing Matt Merchell's segment, but the saints have done themselves no favors, you know, and, 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 you know, they've won, they've won, I said the Saints. I meant the Falcons. I beg your pardon. They've won five games. A true juggernaut of a team, just like the Bucks. Not really. Now, I get that they beat the Seahawks, Seahawks before it was cool, and they beat the Browns, I guess, and they got the Niners when they were down literally 13 starters. It's insane. You know, and their, their other win, wins are beating the Panthers and sneaking past the Bears where I believe I believe that's where it was that Justin Fields got hurt. So that's your main competition, Tampa, and you're half a game ahead. Oh, by the way, in week 18, you have to play this team to assure going to the playoffs or winning the division, I should say. Keep in mind, folks, do not rule out the NFC South making it to the playoffs with a losing record. And this is once again going to be me banging the table that if you win a division with a losing record, you should be relegated to going on the road by default. But the division should matter. Yeah. And so should having a winning record. You're in the playoffs. You deserve that for leaking through. I said leaking. Yes. uh, Through a sorry division. You're in the playoffs. You're in the show, which is more than a team with a losing record gets, unless you follow the NBA. Mm. Um, Sorry, listen, I've lived in Orlando for some time. I've seen some teams make it into the playoffs in the East in the NBA with a losing record. That's on me. Whatever. Markel Fultz is finally healthy. I guess I'm supposed to be excited. I don't know. Let's see if he can make it through, you know, 48 minutes without hurting himself. I'm so cynical about that. I haven't even covered the magic this year yet. Anyways, I digress. Punchline. If you have a losing record as a division winning squad, you should not, you should forfeit your right to host the game, right? Because typically, I shouldn't say typically, mathematically, right? You at the number four spot are playing a team that is the highest of the wild cards. And certainly at the very least to get there has a better record than you. So why shouldn't they host the game over your sorry self of a team? And this isn't to put it all in the NFC South. There there have been teams with losing records in the past. Hell, ones that have even won games. Everybody remembers what made Marshawn Lynch, a.k.a. Skittles, a.k.a. Beast Mode, famous. Beating the Saints in the days where they were, you know, that prom date team. They knew how to score, but they couldn't stop anyone from doing it. 
Unfortunately, they had a slow scoring night and Marshawn Lynch was in a mood to throw some hands. No, not punches, just good old fashioned stiff arms and taking it to the house. So I'm still leaving that possibility on the table for that amazing Cinderella moment that people love so much. Whether you're Marshawn Lynch, Tim Tebow, no, I know the Broncos didn't have a losing record, but it's still kind of a Cinderella moment. Don't don't get me, just, just, just trust me. That's still an apt comparison, okay? But those Cinderella moments are what fans love, or at least they claim to. It's the stories we tell after the fact. You know, the, the underdog win is like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Last Action Hero. And if you haven't heard of it or seen it, you know, just, just trust me on this one. I, you might laugh at some stuff that's in it, but it's overall a pretty bad movie. The punchline's this. In the theaters, this thing flopped more than a fat kid in a swimming pool. The opposite being it did not make a splash. At least until it hit the water. The water in question in this metaphor would be home video sales. That's right. Last Action Heroes old enough to wear a blockbuster video as a store was still relevant. I know, I know I'm aging myself, but whatever. I probably still have better hair than you if I take this hat off. Akib. Um, but Last Action Hero did great in video rentals and sales. In short, putting it in modern terms, that would be like a movie completely flopping at the box office, yet having more downloads by about twice as much for digital viewing through X streaming service, be it Netflix, Prime, whatever, you know, whatever you happen to be purchasing. And I really doubt that Disney would produce such a film as a studio, but yeah, it could be on D Plus, Disney Plus for those that aren't hip, D Plus, D Plus, you know. Work with me here. <laughs> Anyways, so that's kind of what I give that opportunity to be. Maybe you're awful in the regular season. I'm still leaving it on the table for you to make that, that splash in home rental, you know, red box or whatever. That should be allowed. Fans at least claim to like those moments. Maybe they don't make big numbers on even necessarily the television viewing compared to the stories and legend held thereafter. Tim Tebow still has a damn exhibit in the Canton, Ohio Pro Football Hall of Fame from that game where he beat the Steelers on the basis of one excellent, I should say on the one excellent overtime pass because they had to get to overtime first. Where Isaac Taylor gets beat to the hizzy with Tim Tebow delivering a, 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 a Ike Taylor, I should say, not Isaac Taylor, but delivering a great strike that was taken to the house to decide that playoff game. A Tim Tebow pass deciding a playoff game. Something that is not allowed to happen technically, but it's a story that still makes legend. Kind of like Marshawn Lynch wasn't supposed to bash his way for a bagajillion yards to get the touchdown and, and lead themselves to victory. So I think that's a good compromise, right? If you have a losing record as a division winner, you should definitely not be hosting a game and your great Cinderella moment has to be on the road. Which, by the way, speaking of the Steelers, right? There are teams that have made it to the Super Bowl and won the damn thing playing just on the road. 
I think the Giants that beat the uh, the Patriots the first time as well was such a team. I'm sure E.J. Christian will correct me later, um, you know, at some point. And maybe eventually I'll get back to doing the student of the game report on the Earnestly, uh, Earnestly Speaking podcast. Bing! But if, I, if he doesn't remind me there, I'm sure next Tuesday night where I step in for the uh, Huddle Up podcast, bing, he'll correct me there after I do the in and out sports debate show with Drew Willingham next Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Bing! A lot of bells on this one. This show's so fancy, I got all the bells and whistles. I had to add a whistle in there. Sorry, I don't whistle very well, but it's there. Anyways. So... Leaving all that to say, the fate of the NFC South is something that's particularly awful. There's, there's no better way to put that. You know, if you're going to create, if you're going to create a spot by having a losing record that is a sacrificial lamb to a higher-seeded team, Why do they, why does the, well, it doesn't, when they sacrifice, actually, that's an interesting metaphor. Maybe it's the King Kong concept. They set out the sacrifice and he's supposed to come and claim it. So maybe that team with the lower record playing at home represents the beast coming to claim the sacrificial lamb. That, you know what? That's a good metaphor, but it, it, it still sucks. But at least I made a good metaphor out of it. So, you know who wins with that, guys? America. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, so, you know, something else I, I, I've, I've kind of noticed here uh, in the NFL. Hey, Titans. Yeah. I believed in you. I knew. Knew. Air quotes. Air quotes. I have a video production, too. Knew that you were going to be in a position to get revenge on the Bengals. Take back the victory. Put yourself in a place where you could believe once again that Joey Burr is merely a thing in your rearview mirror and Ryan Tannehill would be avenged for the rough outing he had throwing those three interceptions in that playoff game last year that eventually propelled the Bengals to beating the Chiefs and getting to the Super Bowl where they completed quite aptly, um, based on the score at least, for a title and fell short. However, <laughs> not so much. I I'll say this, and this is not me putting anything on Derrick Henry, right? He has the nickname King Henry for a reason. And I believe in my heart of hearts, he deserves it. Hell, he's an MVP candidate once again, no question. But he, he led in receiving, which is a bad sign already if you're the Titans. And he had 17 carries for 38 yards. Yikes. He had more receiving yards than rushing yards, which you already know for a fact is a bad day for the Tennessee Titans. Now, to the credit of both teams, nobody uh, um, gave the ball away. Nobody committed a turnover. But I believed in you, Titans. And just like I warned last week when I was talking to my good friend Hunter Metnick, Titans fans, 
when I believe in you, you should start to worry because that's when your team lets me down. And they did it again. Titans fans, you got to give me something. Who knows? Maybe I need to call up my good friend Teron Davenport or I need to get the general Mike Patton in here. I need somebody, something and somebody to tell me why I should take the Titans seriously. Because from where I look, you're barely better than the Bucks dominating a sorry division. Anyways, I'm mad enough. Mad isn't my job. The madman cometh. That's his job. My dude, Mark Mancini. Welcome to the building, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you and the family had a nice trip back from New Orleans. Acknowledge me, baby. 7-0. and <laughs> College in the pros, man. You know, we I I, I saw I told these buffoons in Southern California do not hop on my wagon train. There's no room. That thing was packed and shut down in August. Yeah, listen, the, the August thing is where you definitely beat me because I didn't think I didn't think USC would get enough help. But you know what I know, Mark Mancini, there's another USC to whom you are sending a Christmas card, and that's South Carolina. Not only did they did they go all exorcist and the power of the committee compels you kind of way, Tennessee gets knocked off. Then following Clemson got knocked off, which, listen, I gave thanks for that. I'll tell you what. Br wrong bird. It's a Gamecock instead of a turkey. But now I look like a turkey thinking you were wrong about your Trojans. But I was right about Caleb Williams. Don't you think he's in the driver's seat? Oh, for that dude is the Heisman. I don't want to hear about an Ohio State quarterback. I've seen enough of these in 60-plus years. These guys are a deer in headlights when they show up in the NFL. And I'm not talking about the Riverboat Gambler. Art Schleister. Mm. These guys cannot make it in professional football. And I'm not sold on Justin Fields in a 15-minute fame of what he's doing with the Chicago Bears. I don't care. I will tell you this. Caleb Williams, hands down, five straight games of over 300-something yards. It's time to acknowledge the West Coast with these uh, prognosticators and everything. USC is – you know what? When you look at it, USC – beating UCLA, beating Notre Dame. They got to beat Utah, and then they'll get into this thing and really I hope they get Georgia because you're going to see an offense against a defense there. But Lincoln Riley, man's a genius, man. He's a riverboat gambler. Two titles, I said, when he came to Southern California. You did. You've you've said that on this show too, no question. And 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 let me let me bring it to this because we got I kind of had this conversation with Matt Merchell, who I'm gonna bring on later here uh, uh after uh, your segment here to kind of get college football and break down what's going to happen in the championship games but let me ask you this like as parody goes man how big is the transfer portal bid oh god he's he's taking full advantage of that bringing guys i think it's 19 between him and chip kelly uh you know just loading it up but you know what here's the big problem and and, and there's still some clowns out there that think Ohio State should still be held over USC. How do you put Ohio State over USC, even with the one loss? You got beat in your backyard, and that talk is all done with, too. Harbaugh couldn't beat Ohio State. Harbaugh can't win in Columbus. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear this. Overrated, overhyped teams, Texas, Notre Dame, Ohio State. You can pretty much – 
throw LSU into this mix too, but how about that school you cover, baby? <laughs> wow, man, oh man, that was amazing what they did. I'll tell you what, the the finish was amazing, but but with UCF keeping it as close as they did to USF in the final time that they'll probably meet in football, at least for the foreseeable future, I got to tell you, I went, when I stepped onto the night shift for the black and gold banneret with my good friend Eric Lopez, bing, uh, I I was ready. I had my therapist cap on because the fans would have been ticked to have the final game in the American Athletic Conference be a loss to a one in 10 team who has been their rival for a number of years. Fortunately, that didn't happen. A play that's now being dubbed the Holy Holler, Mark, for Alec Holler's catch uh, in that end zone. I'll tell you what, that's it's it, that's a big deal for the program overall. Unfortunately, it would appear that John Rice Plumley has uh, pulled a hamstring or, or, or has a hamstring injury. At least that's what Gus Malzahn tells me. Um, but with all that in mind, like it's good that they got out of there with that, but this this game against Tulane is going to be difficult, Mark. Well, and it, you know, you know, picking these games this week kind of reminded me of that year when I said, "Watch out for LSU," and people said, "Hey, come on, man! They're number eight. They're number seven. They're not going to get into this thing." And man, Ed Orgeron, you know, put that spark and put the you know, the foot to the uh, pedal and just won it there that year. And, and I'm telling you right now, I've got three of the four teams in there. I know Alabama's sitting at number six, but way back in August, Georgia, Michigan, USC, and Alabama. And it's going to be hard for Alabama to get in there with the two losses. But I will tell you this, man, if this thing sets up right and USC can kind of get into that third thing, can you imagine TCU playing Georgia? And USC playing Michigan. Those are uh, listen. I, I I I don't know. I don't know so much about TCU, and it's not that I'm I'm doubting them. I, I I'll be honest. I don't have enough tape in my mind to have sampled them and know exactly what kind of product you're going to get. I'll say this for USC though, because I've watched a lot more of them than I have TCU this year. Who whomever they play, I'm expecting a shootout. Yes, even Georgia. Put a shootout for them is just like a game of more than twenty points. So you know, with that defense, I expect it. I like. I expect it to be like fifty something combined points, which is high for an SEC game in general. Let me let me tell you something. That championship game is in SoFi Stadium in LA, right? And maybe just so maybe that USC faces Michigan, knocks them out, whether it's in. Georgia or uh, Arizona. And then you got the championship game in your backyard going against Georgia. Wouldn't that be something? A lot of things are coming to L.A. Russell Mania's coming to L.A. too. But what a way to start that thing off. SoFi is a fantastic facility. There's no question. I, I went with that. But let me bring you on board my conspiracy theory, Mark. And I didn't go over this part with, with uh, Matt Merchell because, listen, He's far too learned to take me seriously on that. But what I will say is... He's going to be a student of the game. Oh, no, I learned from Matt Merchell. Yeah. Let me tell you. But there's one team in the top 10 in particular who isn't in the top four that's still going to be playing for a championship, albeit for an inferior sorry conference, the ACC. Clemson has only two losses. 
If Clemson wins convincingly over a blown up and overinflated North Carolina in the rankings and somehow the wheels fall off of USC, and I don't think that's going to happen, but if that disaster strikes, Mark, Clemson's going to get put in number four because they'll have that conference championship. And the committee in past years, Mark, have told us how much that matters. I know I got my tinfoil hat on, but I see that scenario being possible. What say you? Well, here's the thing. And I alluded to earlier in the conversation that USC strength of schedule these last few weeks has been something. UCLA, Notre Dame, they got one loss to Utah. They got to beat Utah again, you know, um, and and then they get, you know, into the championship round. This is a possibility of playing five playoff games in a row. Yeah. You know, if, when That's you fair. look at it and, you know, this is this is a grind and, you know, it prepares you. And I think they're mentally prepared. You're going to have the Heisman Trophy winner. And they haven't had one of those since I think Matt Leinart. But you know what? This guy can mm. go down as probably the best, one of the best in the last two decades of USC quarterbacks. And I'm not talking about the powerhouses with Pete Carroll. Caleb Williams is something special, man. Yeah, well, I mean, give give credit to Lincoln Riley because Pete Carroll was a defensive coach. Lincoln Riley came in and made this offense the focal point. And, and you know, props to him and, and Caleb Williams as well. And, and I want to make it clear because I like the point you're making about the five-game playoff before, before you jump back in. The UCLA, it was 16 when they played them. Notre Dame was 15 last week. Utah. Is a is is at eleven going into the coming week, and then the next two games, if they were going to get to the to the national championship by way of the CFP Invitational, the that is that five game playoff that you're talking about, and I think that's a great way to express what the Trojan Trojans have done, and it makes for a resume that is far better than anything Ohio State has put together this year. Well, not only that, if you're going to get the Heisman was one on that run by Caleb Williams the other night when he scampered for like 18 yards and and, and they had him in the backfield and, you know, he kind of, you know, get out of that and and, and move downfield. But, you know, CJ Stroud's not in the same stratosphere as Caleb Williams in my mind. I I don't, I think Ohio state was a paper championship putting in this thing and Michigan exposed them and, and whatever anybody wants to tell me out of Ohio state is, you got pummeled in your backyard. You got outscored like 28 to three in the second Correct. half in your backyard. Not this wasn't a road thing. This was in your backyard where you know that field inside and out. There is no excuses. And even Kurt Herb Street kind of addressed that issue too that, you know, you got to have USC over Ohio State in this thing. Which, I mean, props to Homer Herb Street. He finally yeah. showed some neutrality there. I mean, the power, the power. The power compelled him, right? The power of Trojan compelled Well, him. and Harbaugh is doing something special at Michigan, you know. Sure. You know, he's right up there. If you want to put Bo Schembechler and Jim Harbaugh up there, you could put them side by side. But he's done some wonders there at Michigan. You know, a lot of people don't like his swag. A lot of people don't like his demeanor. But, man, oh, man, what he did without his top running back in that game, I mean, that's another thing you can throw at Ohio State. They couldn't beat Michigan without their top player there and also in their backyard. I mean, the first time that that Ohio State has been beaten by a Michigan coach twice since Lloyd Carr. I should tell you everything you need to know, my good friend.
Yeah, and here come the Redskins, baby. Here come the Skins. You, you know, know when, I, they were, when they were when they were one in four, people are saying, "Man, see, you're smoking something. Get back under that hole and put that manhole cover on top." And I said, "Wait a minute, this is the NFC East, man. It's the best division in football." And they said, "Oh, the Eagles are going to fall, the Cowboys, the Giants, and everything." I told you, four teams could come out of this division if the season stopped today. My brother Kyle, four teams would come out of this division. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's crazy to think, and that's still something that could happen. The Giants, see, the problem is they're going to start playing each other pretty heavy uh, starting this week. I mentioned it in in the matchup mania that will drop. Uh, actually, should have dropped today. Actually, did drop today on the three point conversion Bing! Somehow I forgot what day it was. Anyways, I mentioned that this week in particular, you're going to start to see the NFC East, see those first steps to it really shaking out, and it starts with your red tails, sorry, commanders battling the Giants over there in East Rutherford. So, I, I you know, that matchup is going to have a lot of implication to it. It's funny, for all the games that the, for, for all the impact that this weekend will have for your NFC East there, Mark, the game that matters the least is the one that's going to be featured on Sunday night, or at least, unless it, I don't think they can flex it out. So yeah, right, I, right. Colts and Cowboys. That, but that, here, here's that the thing: you know, they they played 180 times. The Giants have beat them 105. <laughs> the Skins have been right there, you know, coming on of late. And and I'll tell you, when you look at this, I look at one thing in this thing: the 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 Giants are four and two at home. The skins are four and two on the road. Mm. And this is a big game. And there's a, you know what? This could be the one Sunday where, you know, Kyle, if you sit here and reflect on it, Miami and San Francisco, they return to the scene of the crime from the days of the Super Bowl. True. You know, you've got the Chiefs and Bengals, the Titans, the Eagles, the skins and the Giants, the Jets. Who people are saying, who the hell are these guys? Well, they just start a guy named White. He throws <laughs> 315 yards while the other guy takes the weekend off at Bernie's and d dates the uh, mom's girlfriends. But keep your eyes on the Jets here. They've gone in four hostile environments, and I don't care how bad these teams are. They have won in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Denver, and Green Bay. Who's to say they can't win in Minnesota? The Jags are in Detroit. I mean, That's Buffalo's crazy. at New England. I mean, Tampa in, in, in New Orleans, a crap game, but somebody's got to win the division. <laughs> Especially after after the after the Bucks drop one in overtime to the Browns. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and not and here's the here's another one: the Raiders and the Chargers. Yeah, I mean that that uh, say what you will. Say, this could be the second week in a row that that the Raiders play spoiler right because after they beat the Seahawks last week. This is a big game for the Chargers in the AFC. Somebody told me to watch out for the Ravens, and I hate the Ravens, but, man, oh, man, if if I'm Harbaugh, I got to go see my other brother in Michigan and sit down. They've lost four games in the last minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, they, they could have had this division, and now they've opened it up where Cleveland and Pittsburgh actually have a chance. That I mean, that's definitely true. I, I mean, I I had said look out for Cleveland as a long shot some time ago, and this Jacksonville win, paired with beating the Bucks, has definitely made that a possibility. Yeah, and how appropriate Deshaun Watson, two hundred thirty-five million, 
66 <laughs> assault chases against them, returns to the scene of the crime. Hmm. Man, I think the massage parlors are going to close in Houston that day. Oh, yeah. I that's the the return made official this weekend. Yeah. yeah. That, listen, man, I, that's <laughs> say what you will about the ethical implications, sir, and the WWE style marketing of putting him against his <laughs> own team. Yeah. But, um, you know, if if Watson turns it on like the Watson of 2018, the Browns are a threat. Now, if he comes out looking like he did in the preseason in Jacksonville, when I saw him personally from the press box, the Browns are screwed. So hopefully, if hopefully if you're a Cleveland fan, you at least get something somewhere in the middle. Because I'll tell you what, if he comes out and struggles, Mark, the fans will call for Jacoby Percet. Because that's what fans do. You never you never make money when you throw clown money at good money. And this is what I'm thinking that. They gave this guy the the, the, the uh, keys to the city. This guy ain't going to deliver. He couldn't deliver in Houston. He's not going to deliver in Cleveland. I think the Browns are just, you know, they pulled one on Tampa. But uh, let, let's face it, these guys change coaches. Like, I change my clothes every day. Yeah, well, I'll say this. I'll say this much for Watson from a football perspective. He did his job in Houston with very little help. And then they started taking weapons from him to, you know, they traded away Dondre Hopkins at some yeah. point. Then, you know, it, 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 Watson was a sympathetic character until these charges came out point blank. So it, it's, that's for me as a football fan, this was tough to watch because Watson was one of the guys I thought was the good guys. I was banging that drum. Um, but then, yeah, it, I'm banging that drum on Trevor Lawrence who threw about 300 yards the other day. How about him, man? Yeah. You know, and the best thing about that is he finally did it in the clutch, Mark. Yeah. That's what Jacksonville has been looking for. Yep. He's a, he's, he's a guy. You got to take your lumps. Hey, John Elway took his lumps in Denver before he started making a move. So too did Peyton Manning. And, and I spent yeah. a good amount of time in the three-point conversion last year showing where those comparisons were apt. Except for one key difference there. The coaching in Indianapolis was much better when Manning was there than when Trevor was there. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff Saturday, uh, well, we can't give him uh, Monday yet. No, no. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to call time out on doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So I want to I want to jump to this because like you had, you you and I uh, you were mentioning uh, bringing up the the Lakers and that buzzer beater they lost in the other day. I mean, if you bring up the NBA, automatically like I, I think you're required by law to talk about the Lakers. Like, I'll put it this way: Anthony Davis has been performing while well, he's at least healthy for the moment. But I, I know they lost the buzzer beater this uh, recently. But what's your take on them so far this season, man? Well, I mean, you know, just seeing that game, I mean, it was, you know, the last second he wasn't guarded. They should have been on in his face when that last, especially with the last shot going up. But, mm -hmm. you know, here's a team that, you know, the road can't come soon enough. And they open up a six-game road trip starting Friday in all places, Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it goes through Washington and basically Cleveland and Toronto and Philly and, you know, so it's going to get interesting here. And then they come back home and, oh, yeah, here come the Boston Celtics waiting for them at home at 17 and four. So, yeah, yeah this this could be ugly. I think they're seven and 12 on the season. They, they could be looking at, uh, geez, 
double, you know, getting in the 20 range with losses. And this is uncommon for a, a team like this with th this many uh, championships, 17 to be exact. You don't want to have 20 losses and we haven't even hit Christmas yet. Yeah, no, I, I mean, if, if you're if you're a Laker fan, of course, you're concerned 100 percent. But I mean, what what's the saying been? The Lakers need shooting and defense. And then you're saying, hey, they lost because they couldn't get a hand in the guy's face. I, it, listen, I always say the NBA is my distant third language, but it, that speaks volumes on its own. We don't play defense and we lost without a hand in somebody's face at the end of a game. Well, uh, that, it, it, be surprised, you know? Well, that's the, and Pat Riley coined the phrase out here. No rebounds, no rings. You got to get the boards, man. You got to, you know, these guys make enough money. I mean, and you got to get out there and you got to have a killer instinct. I mean, we can't worry about where we're shopping in the morning or what we're going to eat and do this and, you know, go with the girlfriend and all that. You got to concentrate at the game at hand. They pay you good money to do that. And, you know, basketball has changed over the years. Far cry from magic and bird. And, you know, I love LeBron, but man, oh man, when you, when I sit here and watch a Durant and, I, and a Kyrie Irving, I scratch my head and I go, time for a, a, another marathon of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, listen, I'll put it this way. You 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 talk about rebounding with no rebounds, no rings from Pat Riley in the NBA. That mantra so holds so true. And yeah, you're gonna say this is a cheap plug, and you're right, but it still makes the point. That mantra climbs all the way into other echelons of basketball. The UCF Knights women's basketball team, who I cover with the black and gold banneret. Have are undefeated on the strength of crashing the boards forward of the glass after every shot. Yeah. If that doesn't make the point for you, along with me getting my cheap plug in, I don't know what can even better. Well, I, not only that, before I get on this show, and I don't, you know, I don't want to sat down with six-time World Series champ Gene Tennis. And let me tell you, you know, just asking him questions and what he learned with Dick Williams, Whitey Herzog, Chuck Tanner, and how he incorporated that in managing when Cito Gaston went down in Toronto. I mean, it's just, it's amazing when you can sit there and, and, and you know, pick the brains of some of these guys and put that in the back of your head and pass that knowledge and expertise on. Mm -hmm. Six-time World Series champion, a 75 World Series MVP. And in and, 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 and a 72 uh, American League MVP is, I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable when you think about some of these guys and you sit here and you talk to these guys and you think to yourself, wow, if I just had a quarter of that knowledge. Oh, yeah. They've forgotten more about baseball than you and I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the facts of the case. You know, and, and you, you were saying something about the Padres. Uh off there. It sounds like you have either a bold prediction or a statement of some sort to make about them there in San Diego. Yeah, I'm going to throw it out there. And you know me on these shows. I don't waver away from my opinion. I put it out there and I'll stick to it across the board. But Aaron Judge, I think, is going to San Diego or San Francisco. Well, I know the Yankees, the Yankees are trying to up it here, but I think he's going to the West Coast. I really do. With all the noise the Padres have made, like that's a huge deal. Even I know that. Well, the, the, the thing I'm looking at is you, you you clear the books. There's Clevenger out of there. There's Manet out of there. Clevenger's now signed with the White Sox. They need to get another couple pitchers in there. But this hitting, man, Soto's club control for two years. Tatis is like a free agent coming back. He's got the big contract. You got Machado there. You got uh, Cronenworth, you know, Profar, Grisham, 
I mean, you got Bell hanging around. I mean, the list goes on and on. And now you bring in Aaron Judge. I mean, this is going to be like the 76ers of the Chicago Bulls traveling around, you know, or maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Cowboys in the heyday. I mean, everybody's going to want to buy a ticket to watch these guys. But I think he's going. I really think. I think the Padres have moved all their chips to the center of the table. And I think the San Diego Padres are going to finally win a World Series. You know, I'm glad you mentioned. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned that. There's a lot of people who, who like I said, the Padres have been making noise. I was going to ask you if this could translate into anything. You answered the question before I could even ask it. But I, I'll say this, and, and 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 let me go back to the NBA really quick. I was asking if we were ready to call the Boston Celtics the best team in the NBA right now. And my diaper dandy from last week, I call him Hunter Mednick, freshly graduated from Temple University, right? So he's in he's he's in one of your Philadelphia area people there, baby. You know, I mean, if you need if you need a diaper yeah. dandy to talk some NBA, yeah, Liberty yeah. Bell snack, let me know. I'll get you his yeah, definitely. And you know what? When you bring up a great point, the Celtics have rebounded, losing their coach and the whole scandal out there in Beantown. Mm -hmm. But growing up a Bucks fan. Let me tell you something. They they are a quiet dynasty. They're turning into the San Antonio Spurs. Ooh. And one guy that's really transformed them, and everybody looks at the great freak, look at what Grayson Allen's done coming out of Duke. Oh. I mean, it's amazing. I nobody saw nobody saw this coming, you know, and, and the Bucks brought him in and kind of just kept him under the radar and he learned the system. And that's what they do in Milwaukee, man. They just, you know, in Portis, another guy that, you know, beat around the league. And, you know, you can go on and on here. You know, uh, it, it's amazing what Milwaukee's doing. You know what? It's it's a system. It is. It is. I feel like it is. And great defense is something that, that can make the difference. You know, Steve Clifford did that with Toronto one yeah. year. He came here to Orlando where they made the playoffs, losing, ironically, too. Toronto. Anyways, but the punchline is, you know, I'll say this, and there's a name you're leaving out that was very significant to your Bucks, and that was Chris Middleton, right? Yeah. The first series, Giannis is in there, and he's such a disappointment, and they didn't win. And blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, it's because Chris Middleton was on a milk carton. The next year, he precisely goes off, and ironically, no, through a twist of fate, suddenly they win. Well, I I think when they brought in when they had Middleton, they had the two guys. I think the thing that really put him over the top was uh, the Drew Holiday. Oh, sure. That was the one that put him over the top. They 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 looked at it from afar after they got beat that one year, and that was the one that put him over the top. And 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 that and look what they done with Brooke Lopez, who was in L.A. and kind of lost soul sitting on the four hundred five or the seven ten or whatever. They bring him in, and <laughs> guy, I mean, I'm telling you, when you look at this, and they can say whatever they want about Buholz are there, and yeah, he doesn't shave, and maybe Gillette's on strike, and maybe they don't have enough razors in Milwaukee. But man, that deer district is crazy. You know, fear the deer. The bucks are coming, and man, oh man, they they don't rebuild in Milwaukee; they retool. Yeah, so appears to be the case, man. And on that, I shan't front. And listen, whether whether you're gonna whether you're gonna talk to my diaper dandy Hunter Mechnick, or, yeah, we gotta get him in, man. We gotta. Or, or hey, listen, even some of my guys on the Huddle Up podcast too that I go on Tuesday night, they're yeah. Philly people or they're uh, Pennsylvania people as well in the Hershey area there. So you know, 
Well, I know. Let me let me ask you something. There's a a, a lady by the name of uh, Marnie out of uh, Charlotte. She uh, we got to get her on this show if we can. She's coming into Philly here. I think uh, next week. Her grandfather owned the Philadelphia Eagles at one time, and she worked for NFL Films. So she's a great lady out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Listen, as a student of the game. I should be talking to somebody. Who yeah, and you, I know you got Daniel Orsino coming on your thing. I, I, I'm all about that life. There you go. Big there New York go. Giant, you know, did stuff with the Giants, so that's going to be something to get her on your show. I, I'm all see. There we go, and and I love how we have this conversation. It sounds like it's just us talking, but we are teasing the heck out of our shows, and I love every minute of it. Mark, tell the world where you can be found, buddy. XM203, Sirius 217. They just added another show to start the year with me. It's a business show. I go, I'm not a three-piece suit guy. You know that. I'm walking around with a 68 Super Bowl champ T-shirt with the Jets a buddy sent me out here. So I'll have to try to figure that out, a business show with Mancini. Yeah, okay. You know, that that's going to be interesting. But then I do the WWDB AM 860 out of Philadelphia. Boy, we're going strong into the new year with that one. Um, and then the Pittsburgh Fire Podcast. And I look forward to this on Wednesdays, buddy, with you, man, tearing it up. Cross Tampa with Peter Blake and everybody. Man, I'll tell you, we got to get you across the boards, man. I know you've been busy and I've been running busy. But when I get that student in the game t-shirt, Brayla, I'm going to be wearing it for this show, man. Hey, listen, here's what I can tell you. Somebody may or may not have gone completely crazy with swag for you over Black Friday. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, Mark Mancini, honor, joy, and privilege. We'll catch you next time, brother, man. I love you, brother. See you next week. Same what? time, same place. Same bad channel. I like it. <laughs> You'd be cool, bud. Yeah, thank you. Mark Mancini, it's always a good time. And by the way, as a student of the game, I'm going to bring back another guy who's always a good time as well, keeping me and the world at large educated in the realm of college football. Of course, I'm talking about the Orlando Sentinels national college writer, Matt Merchel, and we'll bring him in directly right now. We're talking about playoffs, not just in the NFL. I know that's a while off yet, but the college football playoff is coming here soon. And it all starts, in my mind at least, in the minds of many, with the conference championship games. Because our good friend, the national foot, uh, knowledge, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel, Matt Merchel, is jumping in. He's going to tell us a little bit about what to expect from these conference championship games and the impact it could have in the CFP rankings. Now, we are recording this on Tuesday before they're officially released. So if I say anything silly, which is apt to happen on this show, if you've been listening for a while, just blame the time clock. That's what happens. Anyway, Matt, thanks for coming in, man. Uh, we're not rocking the ties today, but we do have a different form of hat. So I'm going to go with that today. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit uh, – I apologize. I've been kind of a – it's been a scramble today. I've had a lot of things stacked up, and I had some workmen in just a little bit ago to do some work, and so it's been kind of – I've been uh, hustling around. But um, I'm looking forward to it, man. I mean, it's um, – I've been uh, talking to – I talked to Mike Oresco this afternoon for yeah. for a little while. Uh, him and I talked for about 30 minutes talking a little about UCF and stuff. So um, I, everyone everyone's excited about these conference championship games. I'm looking forward to them. Yeah, you mentioned I, I, you mentioned Commissioner uh, Oresco. I actually talked to him a bit too uh, uh, yesterday, uh, which would be Monday, 
um, about how he felt about Tulane's the impact on the American for Tulane making the championship. In so many words, he said, I'm not cheering for it, but I'm glad it happened. And I'm good with that. He's showing the depth of the American. And, and, and really, I was the only one that asked a question of him at that, at that, um, at that Zoom call. So I'm glad you caught up with him, too. I'll be looking for that with whatever's going on connected to the Orlando Sentinel when that comes out here soon as well, I'm sure. But enough of that. We have conference championship uh, games to speak of and go through. And listen, since you and I both cover UCF um, in, in our own rights, of course, me for the black and gold banneret, um, just quickly, Tulane and UCF, the rematch, I have to tell you, as odd as this sounds, UCF is in a better, better position with John Rice Plumley battling a head injury than a hamstring because it's so central to his game. I think Tulane may actually pull this one out based on what we've seen lately. What say you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at this game, to me, it's there's going to be several factors. One is going to be, is just John Rice pulling me 100% healthy? And we will never know that, I guess, until after the game. Because my guess is Gus Malzahn is playing typical coach where, where you, you're you going to say, well, both guys might see time. Or, you, you know, you, we don't know yet. We haven't announced that. We'll see it later on the week. Um, so that keeps Tulane on their toes. You know, do they they're gonna have to practice for both guys. They understand that and that the advantage is both guys are different, you know. What I mean, so John Rice probably can run the football, um, whereas Mikey Keene's got a much better uh passing arm, he's much more accurate. So you have to really worry about that. So I think if John Rice Plumley is 100% healthy, I think that's a huge advantage for UCF. Obviously, he can run with the ball, he can throw a little bit as well. I think the offense tends to hum a little bit under him. Um, but I think one of the the, the concerns going into this game for me at least, has to be UCF has to take better care of the football. Mm -hmm. I mean, they almost lost that game to USF because they just had uncharacteristic turnovers at the wrong times. I mean, not that there's a good time to have a turnover, but, right. you know, to to give the ball up the way they did in the second half really opened the door for USF to come make that charge and almost nearly take that game. So if you're UCF, you got to focus on those, keeping the limited, uh, you know, eliminated turnovers. And I think defensively, you're going to have to realize that Tulane is going to come at you. They're going to run the football. They're really good, like much like they did the second half against them. They're going to have to find a way to slow down their running game. And you're right. This is a Tulane team that is peaking right now. They did a great job against Cincinnati. And right now, they they feel like it's their time. And now that it looks like Willie Fritz may not be going to Georgia Tech, as Brent Key, former UCF coach, has taken the job at, at this moment, um, that probably – Keeps a lot of uh, keeps a lot of the players feeling very happy about the fact that maybe Willie Fritz will be back next year. Yeah, no, that's a great point you bring up. Uh, I mean, it was it was definitely an odd topic to be dancing around as you know at the pre at the uh, Zoom call, I should say. Willie Fritz also said something that made me feel like I don't want to say he's afraid of John Rice Plumley, but he's definitely uh, a, a lot a lot more willing to face Mikey Keene than John Rice Plumley. Something to the effect of, you know, we had to do a better job of playing 11 on 11. Sure, both sides have, you know, 11 players, duh. But accounting for John Rice Plumley in the ag aggregate isn't the correct move. If he is playing, I would expect a linebacker spy on him or something like that. And, of course, UCF overall has to just tackle better. I like what you mentioned about the turnovers. And really, when you look at the number of turn turnovers versus time on the field for the quarterbacks, like Mikey Keene certainly has a lot more turnovers um, with for the amount of time he's played in the scene versus John Rice Plumley. So, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Turnovers obviously being a big deal. But, hey, fortunately for UCF, the holy hauler and that catch saved 
the day. But enough about that. Let's go ahead and jump into the other college football conference championships. First of all, I, I'm really stoked to see TSU, at least in the AP poll, making the top three, not just the top four, Matt. What do you have to say uh, about that? What, what was your what's your reaction to that? Well, I think I think TCU will be the top, will be a third going into tonight. I mean, the the, the, the you know I, I think Georgia, Michigan, and TCU will be the top three. And I'm going to say this right now: I think all three of those teams are locked in. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it would be very hard pressed for me to see one of those teams drop out unless unless you know like Kansas State really just humiliates TCU to a point, um, or you know Michigan. I mean, even if Michigan loses to Purdue, I, I still think they're fine. What's going to be interesting to me is going to be that fourth spot. You know, I mean, does US USC probably gets it tonight? But there's more pressure on USC. If USC loses to Utah in the Pac-12 championship, then I think that all bets are off. I mean, Ohio State could probably find their way back in the mix. I think Alabama could be make a case for themselves. I mean, I'm sure Tennessee fans believe that they are in the right to get in that spot. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where we're, we're going into this this matchup. Um, so it may take a little bit of the drama out, you know, if we, we have three teams kind of locked in. But, um, you know, I, I think that four spot is going to be very interesting. And I think TCU has done an amazing job. Um, if you think about, the, you know, with, with Sonny Dykes coming in his year one, you know, I don't think a lot of people felt like they were going to do much. Their fifth, they were ranked uh, preseason hot, hype poll had them at fifth, finishing fifth in the Pac-12, Big 12. And, um, you know, so I, I think to do the job that they've done and to get to this point is, is incredible. And I think if you're Brett Yormack, you know, the new Big 12 commissioner, you're excited. You're tickled about this because anytime you can get your teams in there, um, it's it's going to help them out, especially as they expand next year. And you look at an opportunity maybe to add some more firepower to your league. Yeah, no, that's a great point, too. And you mentioned USC, so I'll transition to that now. What better opportunity? You mentioned how much pressure there is. But listen, if I'm a player on that squad right now, Matt, that all's nice. I want to take back from the Utes what they took from me earlier in the season and on on a controversial call depended on your point of view which again if I'm a member of that team obviously I think it was a bad call right so <laughs> with all that in mind I I I think we're going to see another really big shootout I know a shootout in the Pac-12 Matt I'm blowing your mind but uh, with all that in mind I mean that's got a, that's got for all the rematch we're talking about with Tulane and UCF this has the same thing if not better written all over it right yeah, I think this is probably the game for me when I look at conference championship games that I'm really interested in watching. I mean, listen, USC is another amazing story. Again, first-year coach Lincoln Riley comes in. You know, a lot of people thinking, okay, it's going to take him a few years to kind of get his, his his roster right, to kind of get everything's going. Boom, he's got him right here at the, at the doorstep of getting into the semifinals in year one. USC hasn't made the playoffs, you know, since, since they came about in 2014. So, so they really want to do that. And, I mean, it would be a great uh, way to do that. They've got probably more than likely who will be the Heisman Trophy winner and Caleb Williams coming in their quarterback. And if he has the same kind of performance that he's had over the last three or four weeks, I think there's an opportunity USC gets themselves into the playoff mix. That being said, though, Utah's still a very good team, and they always find a way to kind of throw a wrench in everyone's plans. No, that's kind of a thing they do. I mean, you know, for all the jokes I made at their expense with another first-year coach beating them earlier in the year, yeah, you smile. No, I don't just mean my my cousin Vinny references, obviously, but uh, Billy Napier taking care of business as a first-year coach against them early in the year really kind of kind of dislodged them earlier on. I, I'm glad to see them battle back into prominence in that own way. I mean, 
regardless of how uh, I predicted them doing or not doing, you know, that's always impressive to see a team pull off for sure. And I'll put it this way, Matt, if somebody in August predicted Caleb Williams as a Heisman candidate, how smart would they be on a scale from one to 10? I think they'd be about 10. I mean, at this point, I mean, I mean, I think people thought he was going to be at least a, you know, maybe a top five, six kind of guy, you know, going in. Um, but I don't think anyone could have seen the way he's performed. I mean, it's just, yes, he's he's got the same offense they ran at Oklahoma. Yes, I see where he got success. But you surround him with, you know, a limited amount of talent. I mean, you know, USC has, has, has a lot better players than Oklahoma. And you're seeing that on the football field. Now he's able to pick, pick and choose. He's grown, too. He's gotten to become better at the quarterback position. And I think that's huge for him. And, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was probably maybe third or fourth on the list. Now, all of a sudden, he's elevated himself to first. He's the front runner. I mean, C.J. Stroud struggled, so that puts him out of there. Bryce Young's not in the mix. You know, all of a sudden, you're looking around, and you think, okay, well, there really isn't anyone else that stands out to me at this point. I think Caleb is is, is playing heads above tails above everyone else. Well, you heard it first. Matt, Mer- Matt Merchell says, my intelligence is at a 10. <laughs> No, uh, and, and listen, I I I I build all my all this stuff about where I predicted that Heisman Trophy winner, uh, mostly because of the conference and what it, and, and what it's kind of made up of, and I knew Lincoln Riley would make an impact. I did not expect the CFP, which in my mind tells me that the Pac-12 was better than I thought it could have been this year, which is awesome to see, but also unfortunate now that all the movement and and the tectonic shifts and all that are taking place. Um, for that conference there too and yeah no i this listen this is the most interested i've been in pac-12 football in some time and and you know like like deon sanders did for hbc uh hbcus i think lincoln riley did for the pac-12 just this past year kind of got him back into prominence um in a way they weren't before so there you go um yeah yeah and i think also too this this has been such a a, a strong year of just from top to bottom i mean you look at you know, I mean, USC's been strong. Utah was great. Washington's played above what I think people thought they were going to play. Um, you know, you look at uh, UCLA. You know, you look at uh, Oregon. I mean, I mean, all these teams have played really well. And and you know, unfortunately, you all you have to play each other, and that's why a lot of these teams kind of struggle. You saw, you know, Oregon take a, a big hit. Oregon State. You know, I mean, who no one would have predicted is 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 ranked. Um, you know, so you're seeing a lot of these these programs that were necessarily being up there now finding their way into that upper echelon. That's good news for the Pac-12 in the in the long run when you look at it. Now, whether they can stay together, you know, in the next couple of years, I, I think remains to be seen. But yes, it's unfortunate that USC and UCLA in a couple of years will be in the Big Ten, and all of a sudden the Big Ten gets a heck of a lot stronger. Yeah, I mean, well, and I'll put it this way: Oregon kind of falling off. We've seen that a lot, at least this year. It wasn't Stanford that did it. You know that that I can say for them. <laughs> Uh, making jokes. I'm sorry, Matt. Anyways, with that in mind, uh, let's hold it over. You know, I- I'll get this one out of the way. Um, and and you have uh, you have an AP vote, so you're uniquely qualified to help me with uh, Clemson still being in the top ten. Man, I don't get it, but nonetheless, they'll be eight when they battle North Carolina for the ACC championship. What say you? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just think that. That, that you know, a lot of voters looked at what Clemson's done this past year, you know, and, and looked at some of their strength there. I mean, the ACC still had some schools. NC State's been hanging around. Wake has been around there for a while. Florida State, you know, I mean, and you know, so so that, that's I think why they've got a little bit of love. I mean, 
listen, losing to South Carolina knocked them totally out of the of the playoff picture. They're not, they're not, there's no chance they get into the playoff. And, and it's 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 too bad for the ACC. I mean, because again, you you know, North Carolina losing to to NC State hurt them, you know, it hurts the, the cause. And so, you know, Dabo Sweeney's got a lot of questions now. He's getting, you know, it's 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 starting to find out. People are wondering what's going on. That's two years in a row. You haven't made the playoff. You know, what's is, is the dynasty over? What are you doing wrong? So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think this is going to be a good game. Um, you know, again, North Carolina has a, a, a Drake May is, is probably one of the best quarterbacks outside of Caleb Williams in the country. Um, you know, another guy will probably be a Heisman finalist. Uh, you know, he's going to put up big numbers. Clemson, you know, again, it seems to have questions that on the offense. You know, is DJ Ugalele the guy? I mean, he didn't look very good in that South Carolina loss. So it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to go with him or if they go to make some moves. And, you know, Dabo took a lot of heat this week. You know, he was asked about making changes on his coaching staff, you know, whether or not he was going to make some changes. He got really, he got really fired up about that. But um, that's the same questions that Ryan Day's fielding right now. And Ryan Day's had what, three 11, 12 win seasons, you know what I mean? And he's even though, but he's not in the playoff mix until unless something weird happens. So that's what, that's what Dabo's going through right now. Yeah, no, I mean, it started with Dabo, I think, uh, when he was in the Citrus Bowl, or not the Citrus Bowl, I'm sorry, the... Cheese it It's the Cheez-It Bowl now, yeah. There's there's two... They're both Cheez-It, they're games, both Cheez-It. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know. And then my jokes are cheesy, and it just all gets confused. <laughs> no, but yeah, he, he, I, I saw him personally getting that heat in the Cheez-It Bowl um, last year, and so I can only imagine it's extended to your point there. I, I, I I'm 100% with you on that you know you mentioned teams being knocked out of the mix as we transition to the big 10 here um i don't think any of us has purdue making any boils as far as you know what's going on in the conference championship game facing michigan but i do want to touch on uh the game um as it happened on saturday first of all with the way with the distance that was in the score at the end of that game. First of all, you said it before I had the chance to ask you, so I credit you for reading my mind. C.J. Stroud is pretty much out of the Heisman race compared to Caleb Williams at this point. The signature win is not there. The Big Ten has been relatively weak. I think you'll agree with that. Um, is there any way Ohio State crawls back into the conversation for top four? Yeah, if, if if USC loses, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to point at Ohio State because I think Ohio State will be, um, you know, they'll be the fifth team you know, going in the playoff, and and I think tonight, and then I think what will happen is if they if if USC loses, I think you can make the case that Ohio State's only loss was to a, to a number top four team, you know, what I mean, and and it was a not want to say close loss, it was it was a, a second half where they started struggled in the second half, so you can see them making that mix. They've got more of a case to make. Than maybe Alabama. You know, I know Alabama fans will scream and yell and say, "Well, we play in the SEC. It was a lot harder." And look at our losses. Um, but still, I, I think you'll see Ohio State make that that push in there. Um, and then USC would probably finish, you know, in, in five or six if they lost that. You know, lost out to Utah. So, um, yeah, there's still a possibility there. But I mean, I wrote about this the other day. I still think that Ryan Day is going to be under a lot of pressure in the offseason because, you know, listen. They they haven't looked good in the times they've needed to, you know what I mean? And and you get to this, you know, Big Ten championship game. You're supposed to beat your rival. There you've been dominant. Your, your program has dominated your rival, and you just you, you haven't found a way to win. Especially the second half of games, you haven't made those big adjustments. So I think fans are going to look around. This is a program that's produced, you know, handfuls of NFL draft picks, handfuls of guys who are selected in the first second rounds. I mean, so to have that kind of talent and not get there. 
I mean, to let a guy like enough, no offense to JJ McCarthy. I mean, he had played his lights out like in that game. And, and, you know, I mean, it, but how do you not, you know, do what you have to do to put, put him, you know, make sure he doesn't do that. Um, so I, I think there are going to be some questions on him a little bit, but if he gets in, I think that'll go away a little bit in the off season. It depends on what happens. I mean, listen, if he gets in, he's going to face Georgia. I mean, that's not going to be an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And let me, I'll see that and raise you this. I believe, I, I, it's not hard for me to believe that Harbaugh is the first coach since Lloyd Carr to beat Ohio State more than once. That's not a tough sale for me. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm a Niners fan. I got bias there. Call it out. That's fine. But if I said to you, Matt Merchell, the Big Ten Conference Championship is going to be decided by who passes the ball more effectively, you would have wondered what drugs I was on. You can't you can't ask for HR. I own the podcast, so I'm not going to drug test myself. That's all I'm saying. But you wouldn't expect that necessarily to make the difference here, did you? No. No, I mean, I, I told someone before the game, I said, listen, I said, Jay, if, if it comes down to being a quarterback battle, CJ Stroud's going to win that every day. Well, look what happens. J, you know, JJ McCarthy comes out and plays lights out. And I think some of that could be that maybe defensively they disrespected him. You know, maybe Ohio State disrespected him a little bit. Wasn't prepared for him as well. Didn't blitz like they should have. Didn't have that defensive package where maybe they should have put more pressure on him. I mean, that's what happens when sometimes – it's, it's kind of what Stetson Bennett went through last year a little bit. Everyone just kind of, oh, Stetson Bennett's, oh, he's just an average quarterback. He can't do anything. Well, meanwhile, the guy finds ways to win games. I mean, because he understands exactly what he needs to do to do that. And if you're a good offensive coordinator, you put that guy in position to excel. Um, you know, he may never win the longest throw or the most prettiest throw or whatever, but the guy's going to find a way to get you in the end zone and find a way to score points. And that's what J.J. McCarthy did. So, um, yeah, I would not have ever thought that. I mean, I would thought it would come down to running the football, and it, it did a little bit at times early on. But then the second right. half, man, Michigan just really took it to it. I think that's partly because I think Harbaugh's figured it out. I think Harbaugh's figured out a little bit of what what Ohio State has done to them the last couple of years, and he said, "Okay, fine, we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of that." And he's done a better job in both games of making second half adjustments. That's plain and simple. That's why Ryan Day is is, is standing around now wondering if he's gonna have a chance to get into the playoffs. Yeah, no, and, and listen, you you make a comment that with no offense to J.J. McCarthy that, you know, he's not a Heisman candidate. I will say this for him. He's not Shea Patterson. He's he's a better quarterback, arguably the best quarterback in the Harbaugh era. Let's at least give him that much credit, right? Oh, very much so. I mean, listen, the guy who was supposed to be the starter who started the year, Cade McNamara, he's in the transfer portal right now. I mean, this is a guy that everyone thought would be the would be Harbaugh's, you know, top pick, you know, to be the quarterback. J.J. McCarthy comes in. He does everything well. He's going to be the guy now going into next year. You know what I mean? And I think that's that gives Michigan a lot of confidence, you know, going into next year, having a quarterback who's got that kind of ability. Um, and that's always been the thing for, for, for Jim Harbaugh teams. Jim Harbaugh teams have success when they have good quarterbacks. Think about Andrew Luck at Stanford. He did really well at Stanford because he had Andrew Luck. Not saying that was the only reason, but let's not lie. I mean, Andrew Luck was a, was a pretty big part of what was going on there. Sure. And when he, and when he got to Michigan – you know, he had moments. He had moments where they just couldn't find the, whatever that, that extra umph to get over the, the edge. And I think you're seeing that a little bit with J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, you, you you say that. And I mentioned Shea Patterson in particular. I believe he was the quarterback when he played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl, he being Jim, Jim Harbaugh there. Um, and he was winning at the half against a team that was smaller, slower, and overall less talented with Nick Saban on the other sideline. Jim Harbaugh is a good coach, 
Michigan just doesn't get the recruits that Ohio State and other top tier um, organizations do. Like, I feel like Michigan is a high tier two group, not quite tier one, but please don't kill me, Michigan fans. But now with the transfer portal being a thing, listen, Coach Malzahn said it um, and so many others with him that the transfer portal has brought parity to college football that we've not known before. And we've talked about this before, man. And so, we, I mean, with all that in mind, if I'm a player hitting the portal, playing for a Jim Harbaugh, I mean, who's got it better than me? That's my attitude. Um, yeah. But- and I mean, I mean, the portals, the portals changed everything. And I mean, USC is, is a prime example of that USC has, you know, I think they've got something like 20 some odd transfers and mo- most of those guys are on there too deep, you know, because that's what Lincoln Riley had to do. He had to rebuild that roster. Well, when you start adding pieces from across the country, it's easier for that to happen. You know what I mean? Um, you saw it at Tennessee when when, when Josh Heupel got there. You're True. seeing other programs starting to take advantage of it. Maybe that's a little bit – we talked about Clemson. You know, Dabo doesn't take transfers. He's only had one, I think, in the last couple of years. Maybe that's something Dabo's going to have to really start to take a hard look at is maybe we need to add some talent. You know, they're just used to recruiting four- and five-star guys and having the top guys and hoping those guys work out. Well, let me, I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of those guys now, because NIL and Transfer Portal, aren't going to be happy to sit there and hold a clipboard for two years waiting to see what happens. Those guys are moving on. Those guys are going to find opportunities elsewhere, and they're going to see what they can do. And so programs like USC, TCU, uh, you know, uh, you know, to LSU even to this point. LSU had a lot of transfers because of, of Brian Kelly coming in. So you're starting to see that. Florida State took advantage of their transfers really well this year. Um, and, and was able to have success from that. So it's one of those things that's going to continue to be uh, an issue. And I think with NIL coupled with it, you're going to see a lot of these guys have opportunities they couldn't. So why not go play for a Jim Harbaugh or, you know, whoever that you think is, is having that kind of success? Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned Dabo in there about not taking transfers. I know he's been equally critical uh, of the NIL process in and of itself as well in the past too. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, it, I would I would make the argument and and you know my apologies Dabo if you don't agree but this isn't just about you um at this point you have to be I don't care how old you are but you have to be able to uh how you say embrace these new age concepts right um the the Iowa coach whose name I always forget Kirk uh Kirk, thank you Ferrets thank you um at going into the Citrus Bowl last year I asked him about the transfer portal and, and guys sitting out now being commonplace uh, where five years uh, before that, you know, we were, it was a big headline that Leonard Fournette sat out, you know, he, he had gotten a text from Bob Stoops that said to him, I don't know how you do it anymore. You either need to realize you can mold with the new stuff or be passed up. And, and, you know, whether it's Dabo or any other coach that falls into that category, you know, I'd love to feel sorry for you, but your fans won't let me, you know? So I think that there's definitely something to be said. And, 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 you know, I'll give credit to, to Gus Malzahn here at UCF leaning into it, you know, with the, with the, um, the, uh, uh, Twitter handles on the back of the jerseys and the, uh, the codes on the back and, you know, my, my mom's on Facebook, all that stuff, you know, um, and, and also leaning into the transfer portal equally, like, Sure, maybe Alec Haller's a walk-on, but the guy that uh, was throwing him the ball before he got hurt and John Rice Pumley's a transfer. Most of the other receivers along with him are transfers. 
40 uh, percent of the offensive. I, I could go on and on, man. We don't need to yeah. concentrate on that. We still got to talk about the SEC, anyways. Um, first of all, before we do that, does Purdue have a chance? What's the key there? Um, I'm probably not so much. I mean, but listen, of all the teams, Purdue's one of those teams over the last four or five years has been sneaky. You know, where where there's always been one game a year where Purdue has beaten a ranked team when they were, you know, where everyone thought, you know, Purdue was a, a, a severe underdog. Um, now I'm not saying it's going to happen now, you know, in the Big Ten Championship, but um, I think it's one of those games that, you know, listen, you could find a way um, if, if maybe Michigan's a little bit spent after beating Ohio State or they get a little bit over, they're looking past, you know, I mean, Purdue, I, I can't see how you would do that. I mean, you, you still want to go out there and showcase yourself. Listen, if you blow out Purdue and, and Georgia struggles, you could be the number one team, you know, going in and you would face the number four team. So you would have a better advantage. So um, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, I mean, there could be like a 3% chance that maybe Purdue doesn't. Save the upset for the bowl game. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yes. There it goes. <laughs> With that in mind, let's jump over to the SEC. Listen, say what you will about fake accents or, you know, cheesy highlight videos or hype videos or whatever. Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly to all of you cats and got this squad year one into the SEC championship. That is no small feat, Matt Merchell. No, it really wasn't. And and again, we talked about transfers. That was a big part of what he did. He brought in some transfers. Obviously, Jane Daniels was a huge piece of that. They get quarterback. He was able to do a lot of things they wanted to do. This game to me lost a lot of luster when they lost to Texas A&M. I mean, yeah. I was so thinking that maybe there's a chance LSU could pull out some sort of and then they they looked so bad against a really bad Texas A&M team. Um, but yeah, it's Brian, Brian Kelly was paid big bucks because Brian Kelly you know, knows how to win football games. And and I think it's disappointing they lost a and It's, you know, it's disappointing, you know, because they had such a lot of buzz, uh, you know, beating, you know, Alabama early on, you know what I mean? And, and they showed Brian Kelly, they're going for two, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, there's things that Brian Kelly does really well. And there's sometimes there's, there's those losses. So, but to get to the conference championship game was, it's a huge step for him. And I think it's going to benefit, it's going to pay off in recruiting, um, they're going to have another top five, six class, I'm sure. Um, and they'll pay off going into next year because, again, you know, Alabama, if Alabama doesn't get in the playoff, people are going to wonder what's what's up with Alabama. And Alabama's going to have to find a way to kind of make it all happen. And we now know that, you know, Brian Kelly has financial resources. Not that he didn't have that at Notre Dame, believe me, but he has financial resources, and a lot more commitment. Um, and he can go after certain guys he couldn't get at Notre Dame. And I think that's going to be something that's going to help him find some success. Yeah, not just with the with the academic stuff, but being in a state that some would argue is as high as the third best in recruiting in the yes. nation in Louisiana, that's a big deal. I, I have to say Louisiana. My my in-laws live there. There is no Louisiana. It's not New Orleans, it's Nolan. That's like, why I, that's why I always say Louisville. There you want to say Louisville or Louis, and I always say no, it's Louisville. <laughs> it's see, this is how I really test you, Matt Merchelle. What city is ECU's stadium located in? Greenville, Greenville, say Greenville. Is it Greenville? Okay, that's the. I just outed you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean sorry. to do it. Hey, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm from. I, I'm originally from the Midwest, so that took me a while to, to. To it took me having friends that were from Louisville and from who were down in, in New Orleans and had to you know say things to me about it. You know, I mean, uh, get me on the get me on the straight and narrow. Hey, listen, you're like me. I had to assimilate as well. It's all good. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, Georgia. Um. You know, I, I, I'm with you. I, I thought Texas A&M would be more of a force than they were this year. Uh, but by the same token, to look past them 
I mean, I'm not just saying this in hindsight. To look past them is a bad idea. And, well, <laughs> what had happened was, yeah. So, but Georgia, I I still feel like, I feel like this Georgia LS, or excuse me, Georgia, yeah, LSU game has the same dynamic as LSU and Texas A&M is that Georgia starts doing something stupid, like looking past the Tigers, they could have a problem there. I think this is that kind of game, don't you? Yeah, I do. You know, but I also think that, I mean, I know everyone's all locked in this idea that the winner of the SEC gets in the playoff. I don't think that's the case this year. I mean, I think if Georgia wins, I think they get in. I mean, I think Georgia's locked in is what I'm trying to say. Right. I think if LSU were to somehow upset Georgia, I don't think they get in. I don't think the committee is willing to put a three loss a three loss team in the in the, in the playoff mix, um, even if they do beat the number one team in the country. I, I just don't see that happening. So, um, and I think Georgia's listen. I think Kirby Smart understands we are, we know what we need to do to get here. We were there last year. Um, you know, we have to take care of business. They're they're a solid defensive team. Their offense is always going to find ways to put up points. Um, if they don't make mistakes, and I've written about this several times this year. That's the only team that can beat Georgia's themselves. I mean, they when they make mistakes, then they start to kind of get sloppy. And then you start to think, oh, is this not a very good team? I think they just get kind of ahead of themselves or they, or they kind of lose focus. They saw that in the Florida game. They lost focus in the second half a little bit, and then Florida came back, and then they put the pedal to the metal and Georgia won the game. So I think that's what Georgia has to do is just avoid those kind of mistakes, come out and do the job. Um, and, and you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be in the playoff and you'll, you'll be set to go again. So, I mean, I think LSU could give early on, could give them some, some fits and some things, but I think once that, that defense kind of clamps down, I, I think there's going to be, it's difficult for them to find a way to win the game. Yeah. Once you get out of the scripted plays and now it's time to react, I think that could change everything as well. And, and listen with, I'll, I'll add this dynamic into it. You mentioned Florida. This game isn't the cocktail party. This there's not really a rivalry thing. Uh, per se, it is a championship, so it has its own physics. I get that, but uh, it's, I'll put it this way because it's the SEC, I and people will be watching. But I'm with you after walking it through with an educated mind leading the way. I really think the, the more compelling games are the ones where, that involve the air quotes lesser conferences in the uh, Pac 12 and the Big 12. I yeah. mean, yeah, the ACC, not so much there, and even lesser conference, but I make that joke all the time. No, uh, uh, and listen, actually, for as much trash as I talk, Matt Marcel, I'm going to do this. M Mike Norvell deserves a ton of credit. I like the work he did at Memphis with that squad. He just happened to run into a buzzsaw with that UCF squad as it was um, on more than one occasion, you know, in, in making conference championships and all of that. But um, listen, Norvell coming in, I, I liked the hire when they got him. I hated the situation that he was brought into. And still somehow now he's, he's, what was the last ranking I saw? Was it 15 or no, he's higher now, isn't he? Yeah, um, 14 in the AP. I think they'll probably be, they'll probably move up to the top 14, 13, maybe tonight in, in the college football playoff rankings. Right. So, I mean, it, it, that was something I certainly didn't see. So I, I will give FSU credit as much as it'll probably pain certain elements of the Florida populace. Uh, out there as well but I, I give credit to mike novell and and listen for gator fans billy napier will be even better next year he's he's a good recruiter and he did what he did this year looking pretty solid so i'm i'm with yeah. that too a, a lot of a lot of newer coaches i know norvell isn't a first year guy but but a lot of newer coaches seeing success overall Before, yeah I, oh go ahead no i was gonna say i, say, I, I agree i mean norvell with the job he did 
was, was, was amazing. I mean, you think about when he got to Florida state, they'd gone through a period of mediocrity. You know, he comes in 2020, we get, we get a pandemic that happens. He doesn't get a chance to really get to know his players. He didn't get a really chance to recruit well that year. They struggle. He's got a fan base. It's kind of like, uh, is this really the guy we want? You know I mean? They wanted Dion. you know, where, where's Dion coming? You know, the second year they get better. He, he gets recruits better. He gets the transfers to come in. Um, I think the message was there all along. This is what we're doing. We just got to stay the course. And that went through next year. And then this year, everything just kind of clicked. And I think you saw that. You saw what he was talking about. They were when they've played the best football in the last five weeks than most of the teams in the country. I mean, and you and I've heard people say, "Oh, well, look at the look at who they played." I don't care. They still played. They still played at that level. You know, they were they were holding teams down defensively. They were pointing up points. Um, and what they did to Florida was was impressive to them because again, Florida had opportunities, but. You know, Florida State found a way to win. And I, I was there, and that's the first time I've seen fans storm Doak in, since the late 90s. I mean, and that just shows you how this fan base has been rabid for having that kind of success. Yeah. Um, and they can get they get to 10 wins if they, if they win the bowl game. We might be lucky. We might get them here in Orlando for the Cheez-It Bowl, um, and that would be great. I mean, I think they'd get an opportunity maybe to get to 10 wins. That goes into next year. You get a good recruiting class. You are you could be right back where all of a sudden you're uh, – you're you're starting to compete for you know the ACC again. Yeah, no, my good friend Eric Lopez has predicted that for the past three weeks. Um, Grant, I, I will reveal his bias as somebody who appreciates <laughs> the Knolls doing well. But yeah, he's he's been predicting the FSU possibility here at the Cheez It Bowl for a few weeks now. And I, I, I'll put it this way: I would be I would be surprised at this point if that does not occur. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll be looking forward. Uh, to that as well, and it'll be a first time me seeing Mike Norvell wearing something other than a blue tie. Yeah. In his, in Very his. much so. We could have listen. We could have FSU and cheese it. Florida could be. I don't know. Maybe they go to. Maybe they go to Jacksonville. Uh, or, and we could get UCF. And if UCF loses, we get UCF in the Gasparilla Bowl again. So there you go. We're all within an hour, two hour drive of each other. I've heard the UCF Gasparilla Bowl thing floated. Uh, I, I don't know how confident I am, um, but then what do I know? I predicted the first responder bowl back in September. So what do I know? Well, I would say this. I know Terry Mahajer, if they don't go to a, a New Year's Six Bowl, he wants to stay in state. He always wants to stay in state because you want an opportunity to recruit, obviously, and you want and you and it saves you money. And if you're trying to save money going into the Big 12, what better way to do it than go to Gasparilla because you really have to drive. It's only, you know, or Boca, you know, where you only have to drive, you know, I mean, for a couple hours and you stay one night in the hotel. You're not actually forced to stay, you know, three or four nights. So, I mean, that to me makes a lot more sense. I've heard Fenway was mentioned, and I think I just can't see them getting, you know, wanting to go to Fenway, um, you know, to have to, you know, and I, I don't know how much UCF fans will travel up the cold of Boston to see a game. I know it's going to be special because it's going to be in the Fenway Park, but still. Um, and I've heard seen like Independence Bowl and things like that. So yeah, I'm just kind military of, too, right? Yeah, military too. So I mean that those are maybe options, but I mean again, I think UCF fans would love to see Cotton, obviously. So sure. so they're they're worried they're they want to see what that happens. But if that doesn't happen, but Florida fans, I'm not so sure how they're gonna. I mean, this is gonna be a difficult postseason because I think once once we get through this weekend, you're gonna see a lot of once we get the transfer portal open on December 5th, you're gonna see a lot of Florida players who don't want to be around leave um and you could see guys like anthony richardson maybe decide listen i'm going to the nfl i'm not going to play in a bowl game so there's a possibility that florida's bowl game won't even really that matter that much because the team may not even be 100 percent there when they're there so 
Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, too. And I'll make this point about UCF and the Gasparilla. If I remember correctly, four out of the five most attended Gasparilla Bowls in its various identities, going back to the Beepo Brady's and the others yeah. that it was, um, four out of the top five attendance counts for that bowl game were UCF. So they're a fan of yes. UCF going there because that fan base will definitely show up in spades um, yes. for that game. And they and they and they do kind of own Tampa now. I mean, you think about it, when they when they go to play in in, in the Raymond James, there always seems to be a good crowd. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I mean, I get. It. I know UCF fans don't want to think that way. They want to go to Cotton, but I mean, there's a possibility, especially if they get a good matchup. I mean, I think that one matchup I saw today was BYU, and I'm not sure. Again, it'd be a Big Twelve future Big Twelve matchup, but I'm not sure how UCF fans would think about that. But if you can get a big brand, BYU would bring a lot of fans. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people in Utah right now that love to come down to Florida and enjoy some warmer weather. Well, and I, I would also submit, Matt, that that we would be foolish not to mention an opportunity for vengeance from that Boca Bowl that oh, gave yeah, Zach that was Wilson a bad Boca Bowl. That was a bad game for UCF. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. raising his draft stock by playing with nine starters missing. You know, we see how that's working for the Jets now. I was going to say, where's Zach Wilson? <laughs> we talk about clipboards. They don't use clipboards anymore. What do they use those? Those the little stuff, computer yeah. tablets. Yeah, you're standing on the sideline with a computer tablet. So, so a- anyways, man. No, that's a great point. The last question I'll ask of you. I'm not going to do anything silly, like ask you to to reveal your Heisman uh, pick or anything like that. I mean, I don't know if you have a Heisman vote. Do I do you? have a Heisman vote, yeah. so I, I really can't. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to get down. Surreal. I don't want them to come and take my Heisman vote and rip it out of my hands. But what I will say is, uh, let's go ahead. Um, as far as if there's a top, is there if there is a surprise team in the top five, who do you think sneaks in? Because I know we mentioned that you feel like Ohio State would be that number five. Um, who is somebody outside of the expected that could sneak in? Well, Tennessee. I mean, you know, I mean, there there's some that would look at Tennessee and say, well, okay, you know, they 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 deserve a shot. You know, what I mean, based on what they've they've done this year. Although I would make the argument that losing to South Carolina really hurt that. Now, South Carolina is going to be you know going to be ranked the top twenty five. So maybe people could say that's fine. Um, at the time, it wasn't a very good 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 loss. Um, but you know, Tennessee has won has won a lot of games. Um, tough ones. So too. tough ones too. So I mean, they would be like an outside. You know, USC lost, and I mean the problem is that, that if that happens, I think Ohio State fans would 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 march down to the you know would march down to Dallas to where the College Football Selection Committee meets and you know protest out in the parking lot, you know, because I think they would be upset that Ohio State with only one loss didn't get in. Now the argument with you and you made it earlier was the Big Ten wasn't that wasn't that good this year. I mean, so you know Ohio State, you know Ohio State beat Notre Dame. Okay, Notre Dame's ranked, um, you know, but you know outside of that, in Michigan. Really, what was their toughest? You know, I mean, it's not like they played, you know, the, the toughest schedule out there. Um, but you know, so I, I think that would be the kind of throw the dart, you know, fifty to one odds type. If you wanted to throw something down on, I still think it's going to come down either Ohio State or Alabama if that, if that if USC loses. So um, unless something crazy, like I said, happens, unless TCU gets blown out, and and but even then, I still think TCU makes it. I, I think the committee looks at TCU and says. You know, you're undefeated. You went all around this point. And even if you lose to a, a top 13 or, or top 12 team, you know, you deserve to be in there. 
No, I, I listen. I, I make the joke about quality losses all the time, but I mean, when the resume is as bad as it is for the Big Ten, I, I definitely follow you there. I know I said last question question a minute ago, but I, no. I, I, I forgot about the question we had talked about that I was going to ask you before we got on. Let me wrap with this. So Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin, speaking of the Big Ten, out of Cincinnati. Now, for me, I'm one of these ignorant fools who thinks that that's kind of a lateral move. Now, granted, before I even get started, Matt, I'm smart enough to account for what I'm calling the Ted DiBiase defense, right? From the, the old WWF wrestler. Ah, it goes. Oh, my. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. The Million Dollar Man. And what was yes. that? So, Matt, everyone's got a price. <laughs> if the Big Ten may be able to pay Luke Fickle's price, I, I'm willing to submit that. But why Wisconsin? And, and you were shedding some light on that for me. Well, I mean, Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle is a Big Ten guy. I mean, he he you know played at Ohio State. He coached at Ohio State. Um, was head coach for briefly, you know, for a time period um, before Urban took over, I think. And then you know, I mean, Urban had that success. Um, so I, I think when when you're Luke Fickle and you look around the landscape and you think, okay, well, this is a good opportunity. It's it's not like he was. It was not like it was Rutgers. No offense to Rutgers. If you know, Rutgers comes to him and says, hey, you know, he was like, yeah, I'm going to jump at it. But I mean, Wisconsin's a program that has established itself as being, you know, a good football program. And it has lots of facilities and they're good facilities. And because of the Big Ten, they're going to get some Big Ten money. And I think you look around and you think, okay, yeah, I could stay at Cincinnati. I've accomplished a lot of these things, you know, already. Um, but even if I go to the Big 12, we're not going to get Big 12 money until year three, four, five. Um, and that's not going to be horrible, but still you can walk into Wisconsin and, and compete for the Big Ten championship next year. That's you know what I mean, and and because you can recruit, and let's not forget Wisconsin. There's only two, there's only one other uh, team to really fans go after. It's the Green Bay Packers. So you're it, Wisconsin football and Green Bay Packers. That's it. There's nothing else going on in the wintertime. So um, you know, so I think that's another selling point. When you're in Ohio, you're competing with two NFL teams. You're competing with Ohio State. You're competing with you know. So it's kind of one of those things where yeah, let's sure let's get there and see what we can do. And we have an opportunity to win some games. And so um, I think, and I also feel like Luke Fickle felt this was the time. I mean, maybe last year he looked around and thought, okay, well, you know, I, I could have taken that, this job or that job or going after this job or that job, but I really wanted to stay at Cincinnati. Um, and the last thing you want to do, any, any coach will tell you this, is you don't want to go one year too long. And then all of a sudden you look around and you're, you think you're going to be 12 and 0, and you turn around and you're 7 and 5. And you think, well, you know, you start to lose a little bit of your luster. Yeah, no, I mean, while the iron is hot, as to be said, and you mentioned other jobs, I think you and I were talking about Notre Dame being one that he would have liked, but obviously missed out on, you know, so there, there's plenty to, to be said for that, but it sounds like you are settling in on the Ted DiBiase defense. Fair enough. Well, with the I mean, money, money, money's going to be the issue. Obviously, he's going to make more money, way more money. But I mean, I, I think honestly, it comes down to you just, there's a chance to win games. I mean, there's a chance to really... You know, um, I mean, like, I'm not kidding. If you recruit and use the transfer portal, like we talked about, right. Wisconsin's in the Big Ten championship next year. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm not saying that Cincinnati can't do that next year in, in the Big 12, but it's going to take a little bit, I think, to get to that point, you know, where you're consistently doing that. Now, I will say this the flip side of that is whoever gets the Cincinnati job, it's an amazing job. I mean, again, you're going to come into the Big 12, you've got facilities. Um, you know, if you can, if you get a great coach in there and you can do something, I mean, you're going to be right there in the mix, especially once Texas and Oklahoma leave the big 12, you're going to be one of those, those programs. Um, so I don't know who they're going to go after. I mean, you know, I joked to a friend of mine who's a Cincinnati grad. I said, 
you know, Dion's around. If you want to get Dion, I mean, Dion would be amazing in the Big 12. You know, imagine Dion in Cincinnati, you know. I, I don't he, know. Maybe not Cincinnati, but that conference, that's a fit. Yes. Showy and swag and 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 all about big and 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 um what what what's the word shiny I guess for lack of yes. a better way to put it yeah uh, I, 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 a shine if you will that's a fit I I see yeah. that but but again I mean it just you know for me and when it comes down to coaching you have to be a good fit listen I I did my coaching I started my coaching grades today you know because I I do it as the whole thing process goes along. And I gave I gave the Wisconsin hire an A. I mean, it's it's a good hire from Luke Fickle. I mean, and they got a guy who can win games, and I think that's that's important for them. And you know, now, you know, it's not Auburn where you got a guy who you know that is has got a lot of baggage, and you're wondering is this guy going to be able to? He may be able to win some games, but he comes with a lot of baggage. So I think Luke Fickle is one of the guys who comes in and and he's he's got a lot of respect from a lot of coaches in the community. Yeah, no, that's a fact too. Uh, although I will say this, the 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 rumors surrounding him adding Urban Meyer to his staff because Urban Meyer's son, I believe, is on uh on on um Fickle's staff right now. That's that might be a little far-fetched to me, but it's all about what Wisconsin will take, right? Well, I think the the better rumor is Urban taking the Cincinnati job. I mean, you know, if you're Urban Meyer, I mean, you're an Ohio guy, you you know, I mean, why, and you got nothing going on. I mean, why wouldn't you go to Cincinnati and why wouldn't you want to be, you know, take over a program that, you know, has been established. You have the same sort of mentality as, as, as fickle and, you know, you win games. Now, as I pointed out, having urban Meyer in the big 12, now there you go. You got urban and Gus and, you know, you bring in, you know, you know, maybe you can, you can bring in a couple other big names and all of a sudden the big 12 becomes the, the coaches conference. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't have no, I have no, you know, information that Urban's going to do that. But I'm just pointing that out. As you mentioned, his son is on that staff and might be interesting to see if that would happen. I think it's more likely than Urban being an assistant coach on, on a staff. That would be, that would be, that would be the first time I go from covering a coach on a beat to covering him at a different place altogether. Of course, because I covered him in Jacksonville last year. So that would be, that would be an experience for me. I, not that anybody cares about that, but you say that and I go, oh, That'll well, be he would. That would the, the post games would be very interesting with with him and Mike Bianchi, who've had a long battling history. So um, my oh, colleague Mike right. Bianchi. So so I think it would be very interesting to see that happen. I'm not sure if Mike would like that, but would, but <laughs> hey, man, whatever columns are columns, right? You get to write whatever. I mean, yeah, it may not be it may not be fun for them, but it's going to be great content for us. So that's no, I'm I'm with all of that. Speaking of great content, Matt. Mer oh. By the way, you had mentioned the Cincinnati job with Luke Vickle leaving. Is it the best open job currently? I, I think it is. I think, you know, that, that Cincinnati is probably one of the better jobs. Um, Colorado has some opportunities, but again, they've had some issues. Um, Georgia Tech just got filled. So I think that's good. I think Stanford's a good job, um, but you have to get the right person in there. You have to find someone who can handle the academics of, of the school. Um, and that's something that, you know, and again, you, you have to balance those academics with the transfer portal and everything yeah. that's going on. Unfortunately, um, David Kelly not available. <laughs> yes, exactly. I um, mean, but, yeah, but David Shaw did a good job. It just, I, I just think he got tired. I mean, it caught up to him. Um, so those are probably the best jobs out there right now. Now that's not to say that someone doesn't leave and then another job opens up. So, sure. um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll get more by the, by Sunday, you know, believe me, I think we'll probably get more tomorrow and the next day and the day after. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I can't put it any better than that. But anyway, speaking of great content, Matt Merchel, where can they get your great content with the Orlando Sentinel? 
I think go to orlandosentinel.com or they can follow me on Twitter at OS Matt Marshall. Or if you are, if you're jumping off of Twitter, you can follow me on Instagram at OS Matt Marshall. And by the way, that's S C H in Marshall. Don't be like me and misspell it and catch it the last minute and save your butt. <laughs> Believe me, man, I've had a lot. I've seen my name spelled a lot of different ways over the years. <laughs> it's a matter of who the, where the person's from. I'm sure at least once you've gotten an E-L-L-E at the end of your name. Yes, E-L. No, I've actually, it's the two L's. I've gotten yeah. like, a, like a shell, you know, I mean, like that way. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. So I've, I've seen it different ways. I actually once had someone replace the L with a Z. And I was a Merchez for one for one uh, at, a, at a conference. Uh, my name tag said Matt Merchez. So there you go. So who, I don't know how they got that, but anyways. That's unique, I was going to say. But anyways, honor, joy, and privilege, man. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for setting this right. I'm glad we didn't reveal your Heisman vote. That would have been pure disaster. But we'll be looking for that um, uh, when it comes out later. And um, who knows? I, follow him on Twitter. You definitely know his thoughts once it's landed. OS, Matt Merchell, S-C-H in the name. Um, great man. Until next time, buddy. Uh, we'll see you soon. And thanks for jumping on. Thank you. Take care. Always a great time when Matt Merchel is in the place to talk some college football, the national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel with all that greatness. We've gone a long time tonight. So let's go ahead and jump right into the NFL picks. Now, listen, the particular situation this week in the NFL is one that I don't think we've gotten to enjoy as a fan base in all. Well, I shouldn't say in all of, but in a while here in 22 at the end of uh, yeah, in 22, 2022, you know, the year, whatever. <laughs> but the punchline is this. There's a really strong slot of games and it starts off strong on Thursday Granted, maybe not the best game of the week, but certainly pretty good for those who complain about Thursday night games. The Bills heading to Foxborough to battle the Patriots. Listen, I've been confident in Bill Belichick and all these people who say, oh, he lost the divorce. The Patriots have still been competing for playoff berths since the departure of Tom Brady. COVID and other factors have just decided to intervene. Mac Jones is coming along nicely, and then... Bailey Zappi was doing the job for a minute. This is what Bill Belichick does, except he's just been drafting poorly lately. I say all that to say the Bills will handle business and win in Foxborough. Next up, the Steelers take on the Falcons. For my money, the fraud cons continue to be fraudulent. I'm going to go off script here. I think Cody, uh, Cody I think um, I think Pickett handles business, and at the end of the day, that defense is going to be a factor. When you say defense, you don't think the fraud cons. And once again, the fraud the fraud is detected and arrested where the Steelers will be victorious. Denver versus Baltimore. The Ravens are going to be ticked after dropping that game to the Ravens. And the Broncos just lost to the Panthers. Why would I take them seriously? I have Baltimore. The Packers versus the Bears. Listen. I'm aware of the fact that Justin Fields will probably not be starting this game. And there's a chance that Aaron Rodgers will be missing the game as well. When it comes to who they have playing, if Rodgers isn't playing, I, in fact, do not love the situation. See what I did there, Jordan Love? Anyways, with that in mind, call me crazy. I have the Bears. 
the Jags head to Detroit to take on Madden Campbell and the Lions. Listen, after that win, the biggest issue that Coach Doug Peterson will have for his Jaguar squad is that they don't feel themselves a little too much taking care of a team that could be dubbed at times when they're on their at their best, one of the best in the AFC. Problem is they keep up giving up 10-plus point leads. I don't know what that's all about, but it's a thing they do. The punchline is they're going to be ticked, and <laughs> there will be there will be hell to pay for the Broncos. Yeah, or not the Broncos, I'm sorry, for the Lions. However, here's where Man Campbell and company comes in play. The best offense at some point. Also, the worst offense at some point. For my money, the Jags' defensive front makes a difference. I have the Jaguars in this one. Anyway, the Browns head to Houston to battle the Texans for the WWF rematch of Watson versus his old squad. Listen, Deshaun Watson's going to make the headlines as he should how will he perform? I don't know. But if the Browns don't come out running the football, they're foolish. Handle business. Take care of it on the ground. I don't care if Watson's if it's Watson's first game or not. And yeah, the, the Texans are having quarterback issues too. I don't know. I got the Browns. The Jets with Mike White, as I understand it, heading over to Minnesota. Listen, I know the Jets have continued to win games and finally made it into my good friend Ernest Christian's top 10 on Tool Time with the Huddle Up podcast. Bing! But at the end of the day, heading to Minnesota when it's not prime time, shut up, Jim. I don't care that they won in Thanksgiving. At the end of the day, the Vikings will win this game. I just don't think the Jets are quite there yet, but they're still going to be a playoff threat and surprise you later on in the final month of the season. Speaking of playoff surprises, here come the Washington Redtails, I mean Commanders. At the end of the day, I was about to call them the Redscales. Isn't that like a fish or something? I don't know. Anyways, so the Commanders will head over into East Rutherford to battle the Giants. Frankly, I have Washington winning this game against my better judgment. The student of the game midseason MVP, Saquon Barkley, will be observed and contained, not stopped, contained by the Red red tails defense sorry commanders um and at the end of the day you're gonna ask danny dimes with a wounded receiver core to make a difference i can't do that i'm all about bold takes that's a little too rich for my blood with that in mind yeah i got the red tails that game and then ej will be like oh i picked them to make the playoffs yeah you didn't see brian recover brian robinson recover from being shot and making this big a difference by the way check out my good friend Karita Parks' coverage of that game against the Falcons. They just won, if you haven't yet, with Double Take Sports and the three-point conversion. Tennessee heads to Philadelphia to battle the Eagles. Guess what? Titans fans, you're going to get your wish. I'm back to disbelieving in the Tennessee Titans. I have the Eagles, and for that reason alone, listen, they're not going to ask Jalen Hurts to do a lot. They won't have to. That defensive line will have to respect the run game enough that their ability to pin their ears back and attack will be limited, and that limited and limits any good defensive front. And I don't think Tennessee's defensive backs are good enough to compensate. I have the Eagles. Derrick Henry will continue to grind his way through his career, carrying this team on his back. The Seahawks head to SoFi to battle the Rams. Listen, the Rams are hapless this year. It's a sad story. It's amazing how much their O-line isn't what they used to be. And I think Gino and company bounce back after losing in disappointing fashion to the Raiders. That's a whole other question. 
Miami versus the 49ers. Listen, as much as I doubt EJ's abusive overranking of the 49ers, I just genuinely feel like this is a bad matchup for Miami. The defensive front of the 49ers, along with what the backfield has become, granted despite the injuries in the defensive secondary, are just overwhelming. I love that MVP candidate for the student of the game, Tyreek Hill, no, not Tua, has been such a factor that he has with Jalen Waddle doing his thing too. But Tua Tungavailoa is going to be challenged by this defensive front. I'm not saying Tua's bad. I'm saying the Niners are better on defense. Jimmy G will be asked to take care of the ball. Maybe he does that this game, and if they do, the 49ers win. I have the nine. I have the nine. Kansas City heads over to Cincinnati for a battle of revenge in the Super Bowl. Listen, nothing is more dangerous in my mind than a motivated Patrick LeBron Mahomes II. I'm not going to even do any more uh, uh, breakdown than that. I have the Chiefs on the road in Cincinnati. The Los Angeles Chargers heading over to Vegas to battle the Raiders. Listen, it's adorable you've beaten teams that aren't that strong in the past two weeks, including a divisional challenge against, what was that, the Broncos two weeks ago? Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, the punchline's this. It's cute that you beat the Seahawks. It kind of tickles my fancy. The Chargers won't make the same mistakes. Keenan Allen's in the roster, and Justin Herbert's doing things that he shouldn't. Maybe the coaching isn't as good as you'd like it, but if you want to talk about bad coaching, Las Vegas just said, Hold my beer with Josh McDaniels. I have the charge. The Colts and the Cowboys. Speaking of bad coaching, there's Mike McCarthy and then Jeff Saturday. Oh, my goodness. As much as I love my dude, is one of my favorite centers to ever play the game of football with Jeff Saturday. A coach to beat this team? He is not. I have the Cowboys handling business on defense, and at some point McCarthy remembers to run the football with Tony Pollard. And, of course, lastly... Monday night special in Orleans, battling Tampa. Now, if anybody knows about the situation with Tom Brady battling the Saints, it's not gone pretty well for him so far. You want to know what else hasn't gone very well? Starting the red rifle at quarterback in New Orleans. At the end of the day, I don't think they have enough offense for a team like Tampa that's capable of taking care of the football. Bet the under in this game is my best advice, but I have the Bucks winning it at the end of the day. And of course, there you go. That is this week's picks for the student of the game throughout the NFL. Wow. So listen, if you don't like me doing it by myself, blame EJ. He's the one who tells me all the time, I like when you do your monologues. So whatever. And Matt Merchelle had a lot of great stuff for us. So we needed a little bit uh, to kick through the NFL picks a little bit quicker than normal. And and by the way, Mark Mancini coming in, doing his thing as the madman. Liberty Bell schmacks, Mark. Mark, uh, Mark Mancini doing an amazing job as well. So, for Matt Merchelle and Mark Mancini, I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You can find me on Twitter at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG, and check out my work on Facebook as the student of the game. Watch for my writings and many musings on uh, via podcast or YouTube video stream live with the black and gold banneret covering basketball and football alike. Men's, men's and women's, of course, for hoops. I will be getting back into that swing uh, coming on December 4th, where uh, they'll be, I'll, I'll be back in the stands and handling business there, covering that closely there, too. Uh, on the 1st, my daughter has a recital, so I have to play daddy that night. I will be missing that game, unfortunately. But 
the black and gold banneret will still have you covered. Anyways, of course, check out my work as well with the three-point conversion doing the matchup mania, as well as my coverage of the Jags in co in comfort in concert with a7bn sports of course with my friend captain chris hill and the captain and company morning show with oldschool101.com and of course my work with hilarity by default with the required viewing video podcast there on the hilarity by default youtube channel a fun time all the way around and listen folks an honor joy and privilege we are glad you came with us tonight on this wonderful journey as we enter what I call the most wonderful time of the year. Thank you very much. Hashtag college championships, hashtag NFL playoffs forming up. It's a good time if you're a sports fan and a busy time for me covering four sports at once right now. But hey, that is a pain I will endure for all of you, my friends. So until next time, everyone, I'm Kyle Nash, the student of the game. Class dismissed.